Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of figure skating, the show of hockey, Vermont, La La Land, and so much more. Today's guest is Kiowa Brian from Spearbomb, the national director of brand advocacy, to be exact. We talk about a lot of different things. It's interesting to talk about her experience in LA as a female bartender, learning so much about the craft cocktail world, coming from an acting background, coming from a figure skating background. A lot of interesting tidbits about Kiwa that I didn't really know, but she's a massive friend to this industry, and I felt it was appropriate since her and Mr. Daniel Warlow are great friends to put both of these episodes out this week. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this chat with Spear Bombs, Kiwa Brian. I grew up in Vermont. Um, Vermont, okay. And then uh, I moved to Jersey when I was 18. Um, fell into the restaurant business. What, uh, in what capacity was like that first foray into hospitality? Actually, it was in Vermont still. Um, I, I grew up by uh, a ski resort, J Peaks. Oh, no resort. kidding. I love yeah. ski resorts. Best, yeah. hot, best, best hot chocolate ever. Yes. Because you work, you work for it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, and I really worked for it because I worked in the uh i worked in the ski resort as a bus girl oh, at the wow. age of 16 so that was my first that was my first uh gander into the hospitality world and i really only did that so that i could get a free ski pass so that was part of the part every, of the deal every weekend did you go skiing by yourself it was like a family affair did you... uh it was it was me i was yeah. the only really the only skier in the family uh, my sister took up snowboarding at one point but we actually both grew up as competitive figure skaters so really that was my that was the majority of my time, and then when I got a little older and, you know, grew boobs and a butt and couldn't really it's do hard it. To like spin I, around. I would <laughs> imagine. I mean, I don't know. I have like my yeah. boobs aren't that big, but it seems like it'd be really difficult to do those. Yeah, things things got a little bit uh, more complicated then, and I, I started skiing a little bit more and skating a little bit less, and yeah. and then um, wanted to get the heck out of uh, Vermont. There was nothing there, and I'd lived there. For 18 years. How, so. how is it socially? I mean, I'm sure terrible. there's nothing there. Nothing. Like. It's terrible. I mean, until I had my license, I got my license the day I turned 16, the earliest possible moment. Yeah. And um, it, before then, uh, my closest friend lived three miles away, and like my school was eight miles away, and um, my mom didn't drive. So uh, I just, you know, as a child, was like, I am getting out of here the second I turn 18. And Immediately I when I can. Yeah. Were you thinking of the doing the college thing, or was it more just like, get the hell out of here, and then I'll figure it out? Uh, no, I actually didn't go to college. I got a job teaching figure skating in uh, in New Jersey. Boobs and all? Teaching. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it's hard to demonstrate, I imagine, Oh, right? no. No. I mean, I'm, I'm not demonstrating. I wasn't demonstrating, like, triple sal cows for small children. Okay. I was teaching okay. them more of the basics. Um, so I got a job doing that. At the uh, same mountain that the New Jer- or the same uh, rink that the New Jersey Devils trained at. No kidding. Um, so that was fun for me as a 18 year old girl watching the Devils train. 
Um, fighting and all, yeah, the, exactly. all the, the blood or on just, the eyes, the teeth. All yeah, that. exactly. Or just like gazing at the devil's train. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, that was great. But it was it was like a half an hour lesson at six in the morning, a half an hour lesson at nine thirty, a half an hour lesson at two thirty. It's like it, you know, it's building your own business, and yeah. it was slow and it was hard. And so I had to take a second job, and there was a bar across the street from my apartment, so I took a job there, hostessing, and you know. What kind of bar at this point? Like, uh, or rather, so what year are we talking? Uh, 2001. Oh wow! So early on. So this kind of—is it a shot and beer bar? Is it just? Uh, it was. It was a. It was a local restaurant. It was in a town that only had eight liquor licenses. So it was, you know, on the nights and weekends, it was. It was where all the college kids went, but it was mainly a sports bar that. You know, had food. They were trying to make as much money in every avenue possible. Yeah, eight licenses is not a lot at all. No, exactly. It was a. Not a cheap place to get a liquor license or easy. So did it start kind of appealing to you? So, so I'm trying to piece it together. So teaching is nice because mm-hmm. you got your thing, your vision, right. and you're trying to like impart this knowledge to people. But as a bus girl and then as a hostess, do you like? Did you like that human interaction piece of it? Like talking. I to did. I mean, I also like talking to people that weren't six years old. So <laughs> that was, you know. You like that. <laughs> And I'm getting paid to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I and and also it was just it was the other thing I had experience in from yeah. from the ski resort. So I walked in and got a job, and then quickly one I would say six months in on a Saturday night, one of the bartenders got fired, and they threw me behind the bar. And that's how it goes. Yeah. yeah, I I I guess I swam instead of sank, and and then I started. You know, then I, then I got the bug, I guess yeah, you would the say. Bug. Was the, I find that often with people that get the bug, even if they're on different sides of it, like even distributor, distributing or like making booze and stuff, that somewhere deep down in the, the genetic chain, someone worked in the restaurant industry. So like you said, your mom didn't drive. Did your dad or your mom, did any of them do like anything, whether it was waiting or serving? Or no, I mean, I don't like know that? that that's, um, that may be true normally, but yeah. In my case, so you're spontaneously totally a myth. inducted into yes. the hospitality industry. My sister tried to waitress a couple times. One of her first jobs being at the Olive Garden in Burlington, Vermont. Great food. And uh, she, <laughs> I mean, I, I, <laughs> I actually stop at every Olive Garden. Uh, I go by in rural California whenever I see one because um, I do love that free that Dude, the unlimited salad and breadstick situation. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to hear a Bob Seger song. Yeah. Like I'm Italian. Like that's I just kind of how it goes. I mean, I I am very weak to the uh, Italian margarita with amaretto on the side. Like right. that's always my go-to. It's amazing yeah, stuff. I'm not I'm not like stuck up about about it. See, but all. maybe that's why you're successful, right? Or so I'm putting that label on you. But sometimes <laughs> we I haven't feel like- talked that much yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've read plenty. Like, we got Forbes. Oh boy. And- no, but there's. I think that that's part of it. How do? You- so we'll go on that tangent for a second. So in terms of humility how how far do you think that that gets you in the hospitality industry oh i think it gets you everywhere because yeah. if you've if you've never you know if you've never had to bartend a saturday night with no bar back and you know uh, in the middle of the shift had every single beer on draft run out and um you know i, I had to learn how to make a bunch of cocktails that you've never had to make before because it you know, it's it's your first or second shift. Right, right. Like you, you just you have to you have to figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, then bye. You yeah. know, that's just how it is. 
Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of the time these days, um, bartenders are being thrown into that like glamorous mixology craft cocktail world and they've never had to do that before I know and it, sometimes man. they just get like stuck like a deer in headlights when they get put in a situation that they're not used to um i call it the guys that never carried the an amp up a flight of stairs guys yeah right it's like true. they never had to set up a drum kit like they know how to play it yeah but they never had to set it up or right. carry it around right I, it's 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 interesting for me to see because it's just not in my blood like i've Wash dishes and like I said, I my, yeah. I started hostessing at that restaurant and wash dishes and you know when we didn't when we were down a bartender I bar backed and you know I definitely my my back after 15 years of bartending and bar backing like my back's not in such great shape as it was when I was 18 but um, you know like I I earned it I guess yeah. it feels I, good to earn it though yeah it does I like you could put me in any situation I did do an event for 300 people as as a brand ambassador about four years ago and. You know, I, 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 I ordered from the catering company, which, you know, that should have been a, a red flag to me right. to begin with, everything I needed. And I, I showed up for this event that I was supposed to serve the signature cocktail. And they had uh, Finest Call Sour Mix. And they're oh, like, this is no. your lemon juice. Oh, come and, on. Um, but, you know, I, I, I went in the kitchen and stole a case of lemons from the kitchen and you know, had, and I didn't even bring bar tools because they had hired a bar staff for me, which also was another mistake <laughs> on my part. But I stole a, a, a knife, I borrowed a knife from a cook in the kitchen. I cut all the lemons in half. I juiced them by hand, um, you know, and strained them and, and made, a, with no kitchen, no setup whatsoever, I, I made 300 aviation cocktails for the so many ingredients in an aviation. <laughs> for the landing of the Endeavor, the announcing of the yeah, Endeavor oh, in California. Incredible. Like, it was not a small event, but like any. You couldn't do it any other way, though, right? So, right. I, like, you just. You, it didn't even occur to you, did you it? You can't like, hesitate. You just yeah. have to make it make it work. Just make like, the choice like that. Says Tim Gunn says, I guess. Fucking Tim, make it make it work. <laughs> make it work, please. You have no other option. I love Tim Gunn. Yeah, I want to <laughs> hang out with Tim Gunn. Have you ever have you ever hung out with Tim? No, Gunn? I I do have a lot of celebrity stories, but that's not one of them. I would like to. So we have to think about if we can ever run into him or Ted Allen. I like Ted Allen a lot too. Yeah, that Chuck. would be a good that one. Would be good. Absolutely. Good to drink some whiskey with those guys. I think. I think so too. So, so too. when we talk about, I feel so like Tim Gunn doesn't drink whiskey though. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe French 77s or champagne. Yes, or something. he definitely I'm drinks champagne cocktails. He says a Boolean all the time. It's yeah. bound to be something sparkling Absolutely. that he drinks, right? So what was the first moment when you are doing this bartending thing, you're getting your ass handed to you, or at least I can imagine that you are at mm -hmm. a, this kind of neighborhood spot. What was the first moment where it became something a little more uh how about artistic? Something that wasn't just transactional, something that could be a creative outlet for you. Um, honestly, I don't know if I caught that, if I understood fully and caught that part of the bug until I moved to LA. Yeah. Um, but I, I will tell you the first time that I ever made in Groni was in that bar and it was uh, an older Italian gentleman, as you can imagine, sure. in the suburbs of New Jersey, asking me for a Negroni and pointing out the ingredients. And, you know, I'd, ne I'd been there for three years and I'd never even tried to undo the bottle. The Campari bottle was still right. dusty and never opened. you guys opened. had one. Yeah, I, I, I never knew what it was. I, for some reason, never, never tried it. And... Um, you know, I was 21 years old, probably, and um, and then the vermouth. I I guess I had used vermouth, but we didn't keep it chilled. Right. Um, it was sitting on the shelf. 
I had used it in the Manhattans that I shook regularly. <laughs> and um, yeah, he point he pointed out, just told me to put some of each in a glass and give it a stir and put an orange slice in there. And I tasted Campari and thought it was the most disgusting thing I'd ever tasted. As it is at the first, yeah, the first exactly. taste, always like that. <laughs> Meanwhile, I like drink it by the bucket now. See, but, well, there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, that was that was my first kind of like thought that, oh, there might be a different way of making cocktails like there might be different styles and I, I guess I guess every single cocktail I make doesn't have to have four ounces of sour yeah. juice from or sour from the gun in it but it just um, takes one of those moments right yeah it's like it, oh there is it, a it wasn't like a, I want to go do that now it was like huh I guess there you know there might be different avenues in this culture than I yeah. thought inception Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it was for me. And then, because you never realize, it's like you talk about uh, Daniel, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know how I met him, but he knows you. And mm-hmm. so you never know when someone that you meet or some a piece of information comes back. Right. You're like, oh shit, I remember someone said this thing Absolutely. at one time. I love that part. Absolutely. Which means then if you're not paying attention, you're screwed. So always right. pay attention. Well, and I'm glad that I, uh, I mean, I had that aha moment years later when I was like, I remember the first time that I ever made a Negroni. Like, that's a crazy cool memory of yeah. me right at this day in the game. But like, you know, back then I was just like, what is this? What is this? Why is this old guy drinking this? This is disgusting. <laughs> like, My no wonder it's been sitting yeah. on the shelf for three years. It's so. unpalatable. But no, but it, it, things change. Our tastes change. And so I'm wondering, what was the impetus for you to head to L.A.? I get New Jersey makes some sense. You're kind of mm-hmm. expanding out of the small town, kind of independent, kind of maybe insular lifestyle, something bigger, seeing the devil's play <laughs> or yeah. practice at least. I mean, uh, weather. Weather was the biggest thing. Um, initially, when I'd moved to, to New Jersey, I, the place I lived in in New Jersey was about nine miles from uh, Manhattan and about oh, not bad then. three miles from Giant Stadium. Mm. It was the one town over. And Did you, uh, did you go into town often? I did. I went into town at like four days a week. Oh, cool. Um, I did the whole acting thing. and um, Really? I mean, that's... What it, were you wanting to do stage? Were you wanting to do film? I, I did some theater, a lot of theater in Vermont as well um, when I was up there. And, and then so it was like a natural progression to, to do theater in New York. Yeah. Um, but it didn't really work out with the hours of bartending at night when I made the most money and doing a play for free off, creates, off Broadway. Yeah, so. it creates a conflict, right? Yeah, it's exactly. like, this is the thing I love to do and this thing that I like to do that really makes some money. But yeah. I actually, I'm curious, when you talk about acting itself, who do you find kind of influential to you? Whether it's modern or classic actor, actresses. Um, I mean, I guess I'm just going to say the blase thing do just because it? it's on my brain right now, but the Meryl Streep, of course. But Meryl Streep's she's good. I mean, and it's just so current and recent in my mind right now. Um, but... I I mean I I would say when I moved to when I moved to LA I, I love the theater and I love stage and when I moved to LA I kind of uh, I lost the affinity for it because mm. it's a totally different the, the feels values different are there different. right yeah, yeah the yeah. values are different I think I lasted like three months in LA auditioning and I was like you know this isn't for me anymore yeah. if somebody wants to invite me to do a play then I by all means I love doing plays but this audition thing is so subjective in, in LA. It feels like that really, really much, gross. So. Did, did you see La La Land by chance? Yeah, it's maybe my favorite movie of all time. It is love, astonishing. It's, Heartbreaking. It's so I, I almost, we can't, like my wife, I can't listen to the soundtrack still because I'm still sad. Yeah, I made my boyfriend listen to it three times in a row when we were driving from Napa to back to LA for Christmas. So. It's too, but is it that? feels like he knows it now. He hasn't seen it yet. I, oh man, <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't. I have, 
I want to go see it again, but it's still really, really like a recent. Yeah, well, I don't know if you noticed, but the whole opening sequence was done in one take. There was no break in. It the, was one take. Holy yeah. shit, you're right. It was one yeah, take. Yeah. I was like, man, the camera's sure moving around a lot. That's yeah, what I yeah, it was all done. I mean, I, I don't know how many times it took to do that one but take, still. but like, it was. There's no break in film. It's amazing. I can't even. I can't believe that. Yeah, once really? in a while, some some movie or whatnot will come out, and I'll be like, oh, I kind of miss acting, but that and that did that to me for like 45 minutes, but. I don't know. Instead, I was like, I have, I have some friends. Obviously, in LA, there's a lot of people in the industry, yeah. in the booze industry, that came, moved out to LA for entertainment, music, and um, I, yeah, I went to one of my friends and was like, we need to put on a play, like a industry play. Because I just was thinking the so many of us. Put, yeah. But it's just the timing thing. But it's you know, hard. goals. I know. But, uh, but it, I guess what it made me think of is you go to L because I, I just have my perception about LA being a dude that's lived around but in Austin quite a while mm -hmm. and so I think of it as like that like Emma Stone seems like she's doing a pretty good job in these things she's she's trying out for right yeah oh she got lucky she got she got a she got a good gig like immediately but they say the average age to be successful in Hollywood is 10 years before you get a gig that, that actually is, can pay your bills that's insane so yeah I mean I prefer to do something I can go up in <laughs> a little a little bit more yeah, quickly exactly exactly well so what so acting makes sense takes you to LA yeah I mean it was also when I had initially like decided to move from Vermont I had sent my figure skating resumes to both Los Angeles and New York suburbs and um, the you know the New York suburb bit so that's why I moved to New Jersey so okay. I still like always wanted to try the other coast yeah. and um, I don't know. It just it it seemed like a natural progression, and we had a really few really bad snowstorms in Jersey like the year before that, and I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna after this summer, I'm just gonna go. Yeah, so I just it's time. Packed up and went. How old were you when you went to LA? Roughly. Twenty-four. It's pretty young. I mean, to to, mm -hmm. to seemingly get some great experience out there. Yeah, I just uh, I guess I'm 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 very like stable. I, I'm bad at like. Like I definitely saved up money to move to New Jersey and then saved up money to move to L.A. Like, I, I, I'm really bad about not knowing exactly what my next move is going to be and yeah. where I'm going to go. Um, but I'm good at just being like, you know what? I, le I love you guys. It's been real. Yeah. I'll talk to you. But I'm going to go. I'm going to go, I gotta do, go just go do something else. That's incredible. I think that's very Hemingway-esque. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean... Sure. Don't, yes, I'm not going to give you I'm trying not to give you too much credit. <laughs> no, I'm not mad at it. <laughs> but we'll be talking about rum momentarily so i figure it's probably a good homage yeah it's right? a good segue too so when you think about la and this is where it seems like things really start to happen in the cocktail industry mm -hmm. so the it's the evely is that right is that how you say it? uh yes i worked at the evely for five five and a half years is that years. is that one of the formative chapters like in terms of um yeah i would say i mean i got i got to la and i did work i worked at the four seasons at wolfgang puck's fancy steakhouse oh, wow. for three and a half years and then um and then I still, you know, they, the chef was doing the program there, and he's a great chef. Um, but, like, we were all just like, you're a chef. We're not going to use jiggers. Right, this is right. a jigger thing. I am a bartender. You're a chef. You can't tell me to use this thing to measure my cocktails. <laughs> East versus West. Um, yeah, show. it was, you know, it, it, I guess we just, we didn't, I, I didn't get it. So... Um, after that, I opened Soho House, and then uh, that's where I really caught the bug. I was, it took me a while. I was like a little bit, um, I don't know, uh, there was a little tension with me to 
listen to the rules and do everything the right way. And yeah, exactly. Well, like pick up that jigger and yeah. use that tool and um, study note cards with recipes. But like once I caught the bug, I was like, oh, okay, I get this now. This is awesome. It's actually a career. And there's a reason that you, you know, there's this, this ratio of this sweetener to this sour and it, yeah. uh, to this spirit and it can work in, it's a pattern. It can work in any recipe. And um, does, yeah. Does that, that piece kind of appeal to you the way you learn, like thinking about things mathematically and structurally, or are you more of a loose kind of feely kind of person? It's weird. Cause when I cook, I'm very loosey goosey. I yeah. don't ever measure anything, but when I'm making cocktails, I like must measure, um, it, which is odd because for whatever, uh, nine years, I, you know, I never, I was just eyeballing everything, but yeah. now I'm very mathematical about exact measurements with stuff. And I, I mean, I think that all came out of the Soho house training. There was, it was like a boot camp. There were 40, maybe 31 of us, I guess that, wow. um, got hired to open Soho house. And it was, um, it was Chris Ojeda who I kind of learned about craft cocktails from him and he had opened the varnish with Marcos Teo and okay. they had and Eric Alperin and you know that's all that's all from the, all history in yeah, a way. yeah you know it's all from the Sammy Ross school of uh, and the Sasha Petrovsky school of making cocktails so, so it was like an incubator for a lot of the talent that went absolutely out to do some great absolutely stuff. I mean to to this day um, I there's there's basically three schools of cocktail making in Los Angeles and and that is one of them hmm. so um, and it all comes back which ironically we're here at San Antonio Cocktail Week. Right. It all comes back from Sasha Petrovsky. So in LA, a third of us came from that school and a third of us came from, um, I would say more modernly, the David Kaplan and Alex Day proprietor school. And yeah. then uh, the other third would be the Julian Cox school, which was kind of a mishmash of his own methods and Sam Ross's methods that, that he learned at Kamsa, So I like that it's kind of like their genres. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's the French New Wave, the yeah. Italian, uh, or rather the German neorealism or whatever, these different kind of sanctioned ways to think about making cocktails. To have something that can be split and fractured like that mm -hmm. in a creative way, that's kind of exciting. It gives it a lot of merit. You know what I mean? And a lot of people... Absolutely. There's definitely a, there's definitely a family tree. Yeah. Um, I forget who it is at this moment, but a while ago, somebody online was creating a bartender family tree and you had to oh, put wow. your like your uh, immediate influencers. And um, I, I, I don't know what's come of that, but if that ever does come into fruition, I think it'll be really interesting brilliant. to see. And it was, you know, amongst the whole bar community. So if that ever does happen where they draw out that family tree, it'll be very interesting to see. Do you, do you feel like you play a seminal role in the modern narrative of cocktail making and spirits? Do you feel like that kind of? Um, I mean, it's it's a little bit different being on the brand side now. Yeah. Um, I feel like I, I'm very knowledgeable in the rum side of things. Um, I do feel uh, like I don't, I don't get to, you know, I'm not a buyer anymore, so I don't have people constantly coming into my bar and, right. and presenting new products and teaching me about new products. So I really have to go find that information. And if I get lazy, then I get lazy. And then I see a new product come up that everybody knows about. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Where did this come from? So I really have to be diligent about and and you know, be diligent about going out there and being be regiment and give myself a little you know structure uh, to do that. And you know, honestly, it doesn't always happen. But right. then, then when I feel stupid, I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> must learn more. 
just because I'm, you know, know a lot about rum doesn't mean I can fall behind other in stuff. what else is going on. It's like different classes, right? It's like taking a history class versus right. English class, chemistry. And then when you like one, you just kind of favor it. it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. It's all, exactly. I mean, we all have our blinders on, but it's exactly. okay. I'd rather know a lot about a few things than a little bit about a lot of things, mm-hmm. you know? I yeah. think that there's an interesting way to look at oh, it. Oh, no, absolutely. I feel the same way. And that's always how I teach people. Whenever, whenever I'm doing a staff training, I always give them the, you know, this is the reason I have this job is because when I was learning about cocktails, I just like favored rum and I fell yeah. into rum. And I, I urge you to find whichever spirit that you like the most and to learn as much as you can about that spirit. And, you know, maybe after you learn as much as you can about that spirit, it'll blossom into something else and you move on to the next one. Or maybe not. Maybe you just learn about everything, but you focus on that one spirit and you find that one spirit and you want you you love it so much you that you want to learn man. as much as you possibly can yeah. and then you're an expert in that one spirit. So, so what was it about? We all have our thing. We all have like that band, that person that resonates with us, you know, actress, if you think about it like that too. Why rum? I love rum, don't get me wrong. But what is it that resonates with you? Well, it was. I mean, I've I've always loved rum, and rum had always kind of been a, a spirit that I fact that I favored. And um, when I was at Evely, um, the bar that I was at for five years before I stopped being a bartender, um, my other bar mentor, uh, known in the industry as Old Man Winter. Um, he, <laughs> I know uh, a lot of Old Man Winters, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he thinks that. He, he named, kind of somewhat named himself this nickname, so yeah. it's kind of like now you have to live with this. You did it to yourself. It's never going away. Um, but, uh, yeah, he would, uh, would be my other mentor um, in this grand scenario of things. I worked with him for five years, and um, he probably is the best tastemaker and has the most crazy finesse palate I've ever, I've ever met on anyone. Um, but he, one day, I was sitting at the bar, and we had a back bar, at Evely in Los Angeles. So like back bar outside in June, it was probably 90 degrees. And, yeah. and he, he made me a tea punch, which is the oh, yeah. cocktail that people drink in the Caribbean or in Martinique. And um, he made it way differently than is traditional in Martinique. He mm. put it on crushed ice and it's basically a high proof unaged rum agricole with a little bit of lime and a little bit of sugar syrup right. and then uh, swizzled on crushed ice. And it was, I just had that aha moment. I was like, this is the best cocktail I've ever had. It's so easy. Why have I not been drinking, you know, rum agricole before right now? Like I did a little bit, but I drank it mainly aged. And it was like when I had that tea punch, uh, the light just went off. And I was like, this is my favorite spirit. Um, This is really all I want to learn about and drink about. And I just started reading up on Martinique and reading up on rum agricole. And um, and do you feel like so like we talk about agricole for a second. I feel like Agricole is the unplugged version of a loud band. Does that make sense? Like it is so stripped and so raw and so yep. close to the terroir. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what was appealing about it, is that you finally you take away the color and the aging. Right. You're left with this thing that is just bare and Absolutely. Exposed. And and I, I always favored agave spirits. Um oh, f- so good example, I mean yeah. yeah, I mean I, I think that that's if if you can provide such a raw raw delightful um like you said like stripped down spirit and it is that has that many different nuances and tastes that delicious like um i i don't know i guess that's just that's just what i favor i yeah. also really like pisco and it has that same, same kind, kind of, of thing element, going on yeah. so um yeah i mean 
I, while I do love all those things and I had had many different rums and I had, you know, I had drinking aged rum agricole before it was, it was just, that was the moment that I was like, oh, okay, well. Gloves are off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, so it was five years at the Evelie, Evelie, mm-hmm. excuse me. And so how did, I know you did some work with House Spirits, but you were still behind the bar at that point, kind of like. Yeah, I, uh, I did some work with House Spirits. Uh, I want to say I was maybe their, their second Second, first, like, real uh, long-term ambassador that um, Brooke Arthur ever had. Yeah. So I learned the ways of the brand doing that. Um, I mean, that that company is an amazing company, and they make some amazing stuff. And at the time, they were making this rum that was out of this world. So oh, once again, I was I was going like, to ask. Yeah, I didn't realize because they don't do that Brooke anymore. Would, Brooke would be telling me, Brooke Arthur, who's uh, the director of, or I guess now she is a part CEO of uh, House Spirits. But, yeah. uh, you know, back then she was the national director of brand advocacy and she would always be telling me to sell the gin and I would always be like but I got a rum place you can go there and drink <laughs> rum now um so yeah I mean it was a it was a small program small production program and um I was obsessed with it, it was, it's still to this day one of the best rums I've had um but you can't really find it yeah I haven't seen it even being it's down been, at the distillery it's been like four years they I think they have it behind glass in the distillery I see um but yeah so I, I did that for, I think, two years I did that. And, um, I, I mean, Brooke and I have a very good relationship. She's a dear friend of mine. And she knew the whole time that I was obsessed with rum. And, yeah. Um, Your eyes are on the, the rum prize. Yeah, yeah, and it was specifically a rum agricole prize. And you know, I, I was the buyer at this restaurant and on Sunset Strip, and there were 11 marks of rum agricole. Like, that's not – that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, eventually – Ben Jones, who's the director of uh, North America for, and also the great grand nephew of um, Omer Clement, um, he came to town and did a big, massive rum class um, with Andy Seymour, and I introduced myself, and he'd already heard about me because at the time my profile on Facebook said I was the agricole slut at the Evely, and <laughs> <laughs> and I also like he also saw from numbers that I was ordering all this rum on a bar on Sunset Strip, so. Um, yeah, he bought me a few daiquiris and I told him I wanted a job and whenever he had a budget and was yeah. ready to hire a brand ambassador, just come find me. And, uh, I basically poked and prodded at him for a couple of years, uh, until he started giving me like, you know, per event, uh, jobs in Los Angeles. Um, but this, this whole time I was telling Brooke, I was like, you know, I love you, but as soon as this job opens up, I'm jumping ship. Done deal. Like, yeah. So it wasn't really much of a surprise when I. So was it is, was that even a difficult transition then for you to to say, well, I'm gonna step away from behind the bar and go and start. Oh, it was, right? and I, I did um I did part time with uh with, um, Spirabomb mm-hmm. uh for a year uh I, when I say part time, it was more like uh, it was it was it was the most hectic year of my life because I was still the buyer at Evely doing the liquor orders. Sometimes I would be texting the bartenders from like a rum convention being like, can you send me pictures of the liquor room right now so I can figure out what we need to order for this week? Um, it was it was tough. I mean, I was traveling like two weeks a month and also running a bar. And um, Do you like that though? Do you like being that busy? Uh, I, I do. I, I, I preface that I do like being that busy, but then I went and got a boyfriend and a dog in there and then it's it was hard. like, I need to figure something out. Something's got to give. Balance is a give. weird thing. Balance is an adult thing. 
Yeah. Because you're like, oh, wait, I've got real investments now emotionally. I got to kind of take care of those two. When I didn't, at the beginning of that time, I didn't. And so it was all, it was all good. And then at one point, like, I would say like mid-year into six months into doing that, I, you know, I got the boyfriend and my dog was, I mean, I I was co-owning a dog with my friend and, Mm -hmm. and we moved separately. So then I needed to have somebody watch the dog when I was out of town and also like needed my boyfriend to still like me. So um, I did that for... It's a good thing to have in a relationship to like each other. Yeah, Typically, exactly. You know. I think it's a, it's a good... <laughs> it's up good there foundation. on the list of uh, important things. I mean, tolerating each other is good too. Yeah, but yeah, liking yeah. it's even better. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so when did... Were you... I mean, this probably is such an obvious question, but you were really excited when Spirit Mom finally put the offer... Absolutely. Place. Oh, I was I, on so many levels. I mean, I, I was just waiting for that yeah. the whole year. And it was just a matter of, you know, as, as with any very small brand, um, I was their first brand ambassador and, um, you know, they needed to test the program out and see if they wanted to, if they could find the budget to give me a full-time job and um, see if the program worked out in the first year. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it was, it, it was a relief on, on so many levels. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't miss being behind the bar. Yeah, I it think it'll weird. always be back there. You'll always be looking at it. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky. You know, I'm allowed to get a little bit of that <laughs> crack that I need. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, it. I do miss it a bit. But it's when you're working for your favorite thing in the world. It's not so bad. It's not so bad at all. No. Well, so some of the, because I've talked to Ani before, a coworker of yours. You guys have the amazing skews. You guys call them marks, call them skews, whatever. So you got rum jam. You've got... Command, and then there's Demoso. Demoso. I can never say it right because mm-hmm. I don't know can. why. <laughs> and nobody can. Good. Whew. It makes me feel better. But there is a new addition, not only to Texas, from my understanding, mm-hmm. but to the portfolio of St. Lucia, the Chairman's Reserve. Absolutely. Which you just got back. I did. Like, I yesterday just got back or something, from, right? Uh, I got back from, what, what day are we on? Thursday? Or I got Thursday, back from yeah. St. Lucia on Tuesday. Um, yeah, we, uh, as a company, are. Our company, the company that uh, owns our company globally, um, they uh, acquired St. Lucia Distiller. So we're starting with the release of Chairman's Reserve, but uh, we actually have ownership over um, the entire production of St. Lucian rum now because oh, uh, it's the wow. only distillery in St. Lucia. So um, everything that comes out of St. Lucia from now on will will be have to go through us first. That's amazing. Um, so it's pretty cool. Uh, it's it's close to my heart uh, specifically because basically during the sugar crisis in the 1800s, um, a lot of islands either stopped making sugar uh, or in the case of Martinique, they started making agricole with all mm. the sugar they had. But St. Lucia decided not to produce sugar anymore. So there's actually no sugar on the island. And they're, no kidding. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I And I, you know, I... You know, you read, but when you get the brand and you, you try and learn, but when you go and see it, it's when we were flying in, and I was like, "That's weird. There's no sugar here, huh?" huh. Um, but they're buying all their sugar uh, from uh, Guyana, and it's all Demerara molasses. So, so they're they're still processing and fermenting it, but they're mm-hmm. just buying it from another it's place. It's like coming over uh, from Guyana and tanker trucks, and they're getting all the molasses that way. And I don't know about you, but like Guyanese, uh, Guyanese molasses, Guyanese rum is like my favorite molasses rum so absolutely um the combination of that and the fact that they have five acres of sugar cane on the at the distillery that they're making 
pot distilled agricole with, which in Martinique we can't make pot distilled agricole because the AOC dictates that we use calm um, still. Calm stills. Really, I didn't so know. So that. that was like a really cool thing for me. Like, I, as you can probably tell, I'm obsessed with rum agricole. Sure. So um, picking up a molasses rum, while very exciting, this specific molasses rum has so much to do, so many congruences with agricole, agricole, and like with Demerara molasses. You know, yeah, yeah, molasses. Yeah. Um, it's very it's very fun, and the rum is very tasty. Which um, give me a couple of the notes. I know, God, I hate going through tasting notes, but I'm gonna try it finally for the first time on Saturday. I actually, it's on the calendar to try that fucking rum, awesome. which yeah. is incredible because Mr. John Garrett from Victory, who's brought yep. it here, he keeps talking about it. I'm yes. like, all right, John, I trust you. Talk about a dream of a distributor to work with. Always the best. We share the same <laughs> best best guys in the biz. But if I was looking to understand what was different about it what would you say is different from you talk about pots distilled agricole but this is molasses based right so yeah i mean um well the chairman specifically is a combination of pot distilled and calm distilled rum okay okay so um it is i mean you you get that like brown sugar sweetness of a demerara rum but um i think because of the pot still rum that's in there and in this this only comes off as a good quality to nerds yeah. that probably would be the nerds that would probably listen to this is it has that like funky band-aid equality that like you don't find in any other rums i it's like such a saint lucia distillers specific thing um and you know it almost lends itself a little bit to that jamaican funk um but it has a more like band-aid-y taste to it well it's cool because you have this at least if i'm composing in my head you got this like deep creaminess and the caramelness which is very soft and supple and what mm-hmm. you really come to love about your drums but at the same time the funk and kind of the light the, le- the electric yeah. flavor right where Absolutely. you've got both so it's like i can't wait to taste something that gives me both of those things yeah it's it's i mean it's i couldn't ask for a better addition if, if for a molasses rum to come and join our family like it's the perfect addition and i couldn't be happier i mean J- jamaican rum is is also a large weakness of mine so yeah. it's almost like a weakness. little bit of jamaican a little <laughs> bit of demerara a little bit of agricole there's not agricole specifically in the chairman's reserve that's something that they use for the 1931 um which we have a lot we have a lot of stuff coming up uh, because we are the see. only yeah we're the only distillery on the island so um uh, i don't know if i'm supposed to talk about this but whatever uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry ben jones um, this spring, we're kind of, we're going to be releasing to the United States Bounty, which is and which is the rum of Saint Lucia. It's in every every bar. It is it's the Appletons of Jamaica. Amazing. So it's never been in the United States before. It's totally different than any well rum um, that anybody has because it is it's the only it, it's literally called the Spirit of Saint Lucia is their tagline. So it'll be really cool to have that in the United States for the first time. Um, and it's also, you know, like a very reasonable, like ten dollar price. So amazing! Um, well, I yeah. can't wait to try that either. Yeah, it's it's there's a lot of a lot of things happening this year. A lot of funk, <laughs> a lot of noise. A lot of funk, bringing a lot of noise. In the funk, a lot of bringing things. in the noise. I'm gonna be really busy. But you're in town specifically to be busy for the San Antonio Cocktail Conference. You've got a seminar about. I mean, I'm not gonna assume, but it's about rum, isn't it? I know it's a weird assumption <laughs> I would have. Yes, I, I'm doing... The rum this. slut. I mean, I'm <laughs> sorry, but... It's uh, yeah, probably shouldn't have let that one back out of the bag. <laughs> um, yes, on Saturday, I have a seminar on um, breaking down the category of rum as a whole. Yeah. And just because it is a category that there's not a lot of organization or understanding, unlike whiskey, which 
whiskey is, you know, everybody in America loves whiskey and understands it and knows the difference between a bourbon and a rye and a scotch and an Irish whiskey, but right. nobody really understands the difference between rums, yet rum is what our country was founded on. So We're still so behind on that. We are. We are really behind on rum. So, I mean, hopefully, hopefully uh, the way it looks with with the way numbers are trending with premium rum, it looks like it's it looks like it's starting to spike up. So um, hopefully people will be more interested in learning and um, we're hoping to provide a tool at the base level that everyone can understand, yeah. consumers and bartenders alike, and um, just breaking it down a little bit into what we do, what we would like to, you know, get across to the, to the general consumer in two bars uh, is to break it down into English, Spanish, and French. Yeah. Those were the th three, along with the Dutch um, countries that settled the Caribbean and settled those islands and developed their own styles of rum. So, you know, it's romantic and it's historical. And it is. It's romantic except for, you know, the genocide and the slave trade about it. But Well, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> no, but, so but the history not, of it. Everybody no, knows it's, history. It's so. very rich and it's very historical and it's got things that happened. I mean, it comes and from a place. people can relate to it. People, oh, everybody sure. reads some history. Everybody yeah. knows well, when some. Columbus sailed the ocean blue, That's I hope. true. 1492. Um, exactly. Of course. You school. I did. I went to school like once <laughs> once or twice, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I've got two more questions for you. Yeah. One of which is you seem like on the academic side also of rum. So whether that is writing about it, whether that is teaching and preaching the gospels of it, do you see that extending into something bigger like a book maybe? Um, I've thought about that. Uh, if there was time in my life, um, <laughs> you got ditched a dog or something, I guess. No, actually, I think it would be the opposite. I think it would be to ditch, like working f or traveling for you know a couple of months and just hang out with the dog for inspiration. I like it. Um, yeah, I mean, not to not to go and um, you know go too far in the future and and say plans that might not come into fruition. But uh, my my end of end of uh, the day's goal after say in four or five years um, mm. is to just end up in the Caribbean and do just that. It's amazing. Um, there's, there aren't any books on rum agriculture yet. So I just, some, yeah, I mean, I know one. Mr. Hamilton's got some stuff out there. Absolutely. Rum, you know? uh, yeah. He, he probably has the most uh, in depth in print um, situation on rum agriculture out there, but there isn't a complete. Still a lot of work book. to do. Yeah. I mean, even most of the stuff online is in French. Yeah. So that's not helpful for a lot of us in the United States. Um, and it is, I mean, rum, as I said, is such a misunderstood category as a whole. Rum agricole is even more, under, yeah, yeah, even more less understood. understood. So, so last question then, because I think I would really be curious as to how you would do this. But if you could, you're working with Spear Bomb, and they're like, all right, you know, we're gonna, you want your own label? Do you want your own blend of rum? Would you do it? Yes, absolutely. Do you have a really clear on? clear like vision for what that might taste like um i mean i don't i i don't really know much about rum blending i've not ever uh blended a rum but there's i i, I mean this pot stilled agriculture situation is something i gotta that taste I, that yeah, that's so I mean, crazy I, I i was very very impressed and very delighted and um uh, I, I mean it, it would definitely have a high percentage of that in there yeah. um and then some sort of probably buttery um buttery demerara 
pot distilled situation in there I mean, either well. way, it makes me, I mean, we're about at happy hour, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, I really got to try some yeah. of this raw. I just, I mean, it's like, I'm hungry for it. I don't know how to describe it beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's. It's one of those things. It's unctuous. The struggle is real. The, strug- <laughs> the struggle is fucking real. You're right. That is it. That is precisely it. Well, so it's been brilliant chatting with you. And you think you're going to have to return to acting? Or is that far on the horizon? Um, I don't or think behind so. you? I, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I, maybe maybe in the world of perfect worlds sometime next year, you'll, you'll, see, uh, you'll see myself and my cohort, Luke Ford, yeah. who works for Woodford Reserve. Uh, trying to put together a play with a bunch of bartenders, but um, besides I like, that, <laughs> is it, it? It may be like herding cats, but I'd be I'd be inci- excited to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, as as long as we got the main characters kind of knowing what they were doing, yeah. everyone else could kind of follow along, maybe. I don't and, then, know. and then you're gonna have to break up with your boyfriend and be a famous uh, movie star yeah, long I term. I don't know about that. I All mean, right. I don't think I could possibly uh, do more traveling than I am now and have him put up with it. So. That would probably be easier. Everything's in Los Angeles. <laughs> That's a good point. What's well, the La La Land syndrome, perhaps? It is. So it's been really good. Ch- I appreciate you carving some time out to chat oh, with me. Oh, of course. It's been and, really uh, fun. It's been great that Anya had made the introduction. So let's sip some rum on Saturday. Chairman's Reserve. I'm really Absolutely. excited to try it. So thank I'll you. make her make me a drink because she'll be behind the bar and I won't be. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, there we have it, Kiwa Brian of Spirit Bomb, a fine collection of rums, lots of agricole, and the Chairman's Reserve was just introduced to Texas, and I finally had a chance to sip on that bad boy, and it is absolutely stunning. It's a great rum, and I think rum is an emerging market, an emerging taste. People will start drinking fine rums more and more often, I hope following in the footsteps of Mescal, perhaps. But it's great getting to talk to her. She's a veteran of this industry. You know, she's a writer. She's a comedian. She's an actor. And it's really going to be interesting to see where her career heads here in the next 10 years. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter what kind of wood you like in your whiskey or what kind of Yamaha guitar you might think about buying from the 80s, maybe even a keyboard, please keep dancing.